Well, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. We're in Exodus chapter 20 this morning, and when you get to Exodus chapter 20, you find nothing other than the Ten Commandments, and that's what we've been exploring the past several weeks here at First Pres. And we've kind of reached a turning point in the Ten Commandments. We've explored the first four commandments, and what you find about the Ten Commandments is the first four commandments have to do with our relationship with God. It has to do with how people who have received the grace of God live in response to Him. It shows us what that looks like, and it shows us that even though we failed in that capacity, that Jesus has met those commandments for us. That's the ground upon which we're able to stand before Him, and that propels us to obedience, propels us to to want to obey those first four commandments. But what we believe about God also affects the way in which we live with other people. And so when you look at the commandments 5 through 10, you discover that there's a horizontal dimension, that there's a dimension that comes into play with how, we, who, how what we believe about God actually affects the way in which we relate to other people. That's a significant point. That's something that you should take with you. I was a few weeks ago having lunch with a political science professor up at the University of Southern Mississippi, who happens to be a believer, happens to be a follower of Christ. And his specialty field is religion and politics. And so we were sitting there having lunch, talking about the two topics you're not supposed to talk about when you have lunch, which are religion and politics. And one of the things that he was saying is that people in the media and people in academics and people just in the world in general completely fail to see how deeply their theology drives their living what it is that they believe about God or don't believe about God, how that affects themselves, not just as political beings and not just as economic beings, but also as social beings, how we relate to one another in families. And so the point here is that your, your worship, the object of your worship, drives your ethics. It drives the way in which you live over the course of your life in relationship with other people. That's an important point to latch on to. And so we get to the point now in the Ten Commandments and commandment number five that we're going to explore this morning of how it is that people who have received the grace of God live in relationship to other people. And it begins with nothing other than honoring our parents. The very first thing that God wants to say about our horizontal relationships. So with that in view, let's take a moment now to read Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 and 2 as we remember that we are people under grace when we have responded to Jesus Christ. And then we'll take a look at verse 12. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And now look down to verse 12, where you see the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. You know, despite all of the diversity that exists in the United States of America, and there is quite a bit of it these days, one of the things that seems to unite people who really can't agree on much of anything, one of the things that seems to unite us is that we highly value our liberties. We're people that very highly value our personal freedoms. It's one of the great privileges we have about living in the United States of America. We want to choose what we think is best for us. And by and large, we have that freedom. We have the freedom to choose what we want to be when we grow up and what we want to do with our lives and who we want to marry and and all sorts of things that we really, for the most part, take for granted compared to so many other people in the world. 
But one of the things that we don't get to choose is our parents, as if that weren't the Captain Obvious moment of the day. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose what family we were born into and what our family is like. Now, for many of you, that's just fine, isn't it? Because for the most part, you had good parents. You had parents who cared for you, who provided for you, who, who helped you, and, and were, by all accounts, very competent, good parents. And so when you look at something like the Fifth Commandment, you may see it as probably not out of the list of ten, the, one of the main things that you struggle with, because your parents are people that you are inclined to want to honor, at least to some degree or another. But for others of you, no doubt, your childhood was a nightmare. Living with your parents was a colossal nightmare. In America today, 40% of children are born to unwed mothers. A less than ideal situation. And somewhere around 10% of boys and 20% of girls are sexually abused. That's an astonishing number. They're abused very often by their parents or people that their parents should have protected them from. Their their parents failed them in the most extreme ways. And no doubt there are some of you here this morning who have experienced something like that. You know what that's like. You know what it's like to have an absentee father, a father who's just checked out, a controlling manipulative mother. Maybe your parents' divorce is something that just completely ripped apart any sense of stability you had in your household growing up. And even if it wasn't that bad, maybe it was just mediocre at best. It was just so-so. And so you look at the fifth commandment, you find that as something that's hard to even imagine doing. Because you don't even see your parents as people who are worthy of honor. Not in any respect whatsoever. But the deal is, is that the fifth commandment still remains, right? There, there's, there's not a qualification to it. The fifth commandment still remains to honor our father and our mother. And it's actually the first in a list of priorities that God has for our life when we relate to other people. It's actually the first in the same list of things like you shall not murder and you shall not steal. That should just stress to you the importance of this commandment. When you get to the to the New Testament, you discover that if anything, the commandment gets heightened. It doesn't go away. It remains with us. It's something that Jesus repeats when you look in Matthew 15. And it's something that Paul repeats when you get into Ephesians chapter 5. And where it really gets to the point where the rubber meets the road is when you look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 1. If you know anything about Romans chapter 1, you'll discover that Paul is laying down the fact that God does not tolerate it when people just turn aside to him, when they they just completely reject him. People who want to reject Jesus Christ as the ground upon which they will be able to stand before God are allowed to do so. they, They are perfectly allowed to do so. But God will execute his justice upon those who resist his grace, who who reject who he is. And this is what it says here in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Listen to this. It says, They were filled with all matter of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, 
boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Disobedience, dishonor to your parents is put in that list. It just shows you how seriously God takes this, how, how seriously he takes honoring our parents. It's, it's no small thing. And I would suggest to you that fundamentally at the end of the day, it's a gospel issue, isn't it? It's a gospel issue because a person who has very little, if any, respect and honor for their parents or any other authority in their life at all is very likely to be a person who has no respect for God, no honor for God, does not love God, and might very well be a person that God is so hardened in their sin that they will never repent and believe in Him. It's, it's one of the issues that just sticks out when you read a passage like Romans chapter 1. Honoring your parents is a gospel issue because a person who has internalized the grace of Jesus Christ has been given a heavenly father who's pursued them to the point of giving over his own son for them. And because of that grace, we respond to him in faithfulness. Not out of guilt, not out of earning anything for it, but out of just pure gratitude. We seek to honor our Heavenly Father, and it's going to manifest itself in our earthly relationships as well as we honor our earthly parents. Now I should say this as well. Just about everyone agrees that the commandment here to honor our parents is something that is much broader than just our parents. It actually extends to all of our authorities, that we are to be people who honor the authorities that God has placed in our life. And so you get to places like Romans 13, where Paul calls us to honor the governing authorities, to obey the law, to honor the governing authorities. It's grounded in this commandment. And then you look at, and see what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, how we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That whole thing there assumes that there are certain authorities in our lives that we are to submit to. And that's grounded here in the fifth commandment. And so here's the deal. If you're a high school student, how in the world are you going to honor your teachers and respect your teachers if you don't first honor your parents? It's not going to happen. If you're an adult... How are you going to be a person who is going to honor your boss, respect those who are in authority over you at work, obey the law, if you haven't at least first learned to honor your parents? You get to places like 1 Timothy. You see Paul saying things like, we're not to rebuke an older man, but to encourage him as if he were our father, and to encourage older women as if they were our mother. That is a remarkably counterintuitive thing to say given the culture that we live in today, which is a culture that glorifies youth and rejects older age. How are we going to learn to respect and to honor those who are older than us if we haven't first learned to honor our parents? See, the, the fifth commandment is much, much broader than it seems on the surface because it has to do with how we relate to anybody who is in authority over us. And one of the things that we discover when we honor our authorities, when we respect our authorities, especially our parents, is that God just has this strange way of blessing us. 
God has a way of blessing us. That's what this promise that's attached to the commandment is all about. And so the underlying principle here is when you realize that you're a person that's been released from bondage, like the Israelites who received this commandment were, when you realize that you have been released from the slavery of sin and you have been set free to worship God and you've been set free from from what your sin deserves, then you respond by honoring your parents. Jesus has given you grace and you didn't deserve it. And he calls you in response to that grace to honor those in authority over you even though they may not necessarily deserve it either. And when you do so, God has a way of blessing you. But even if you don't believe that and think that that's all just a bunch of nonsense, surely you can agree that if you disrespect your authorities and disrespect your parents, it will screw up your life. It will mess up your life. I have a friend who reminds me all the time that if you're bitter, if you're angry, and that manifests itself in disrespect, it's like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. It's, it's literally like swallowing Drano and hoping your parents die. It will eat you up and it will not do anything for them either. So trust me on this one, especially kids, trust me on this one. Your life will not get better if you disrespect your parents. It will not get better if you dishonor your parents. It will not get better if you dishonor your authorities in life. It will mess up your life. People who go to jail don't go to jail because they typically respected their authorities. People who get in trouble and all sorts of trouble in this life don't do so because they respected their authorities and their parents. They got there because they disrespected them and it's messed up their lives. It's easy when you look at the fifth commandment. It's easy to pick on children, young children and teenagers and kids who are still under their parents' household roof. But the fact of the matter is that this is a commandment that extends to all of us. Every single one of us has this commandment that's given to us. It extends to all of us because no matter what stage of life we're in, he calls us broadly to honor the authorities that he's placed over our lives and narrowly at least to honor our parents. And no doubt this is a big issue. It is, like I said, the very first thing that God brings to his people when he's talking about our relationships with other people. And so in light of that fact, I want to spend a little bit of time today and next week plumbing the depths of this. And what I want to do today is, first of all, speak to those of you who are parents or maybe parents one day or people who have some authority over someone in your life. That probably consists of just about everyone here. Everyone here has a role in this particular commandment. Because if you're a parent, if you are a parent, you're a person who wants to instill in your children a sense of respect for authority, right? You want them to respect you and honor you. You don't want them to so disrespect you that they are going to send you off to some home in Iowa someday when you get old. You want them to respect you and honor you. And you want them to do that not only for your own well-being, but because it's something that honors God and is something for, for their good as well. You're instilling in them a sense of godliness when they learn to honor and respect not only you, but the other authorities in their lives. I, I know you're going to be shocked to hear this. But your children were not born with this aching desire to honor you. That, that, that wasn't the deepest longing 
of their life from the moment that they were conceived and the moment that they were born. All of us have this inward inclination to fiercely assert our autonomy from any kind of authority in our life. You don't have to teach your children to disobey you. They already know how to do that. You have to teach them to obey you and to honor you. And it's the responsibility of the, of the parents, much, much more so than even the church, to train their children and teach their children to be people who learn to honor you and their authorities in their life. See, one of, one of the great privileges and responsibilities that parents have is to prepare their children and nurture their children to be godly people who follow Jesus Christ, who will one day leave you, who will one day grow up and get out of your house and function in the world as a godly, mature adult who knows how to respect people and treat people with some sense of honor. And part of doing that is training them to respect you and to honor you and others in authority over them. So if you want to make sure that your kids don't send you to that home in Iowa, you want to teach them how to do this. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This is what he says to parents, particularly to fathers. He says in Ephesians 6, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Look, the family is the fundamental place where your children discover what God is like. You're, you're teaching them what God is like all the time because there's a sense in which parents almost stand in the place of God for their children. They're representing God to their children. And if they don't grow to honor you, how are they going to learn to grow to honor God? It very, very rarely happens that a child grows up in a household where they don't honor their parents, but yet grow up to honor God. In fact, there's a, there's a major disconnect between a person who says that they honor God, but dishonors and disrespects their parents. And that's why Paul is calling parents here, especially the fathers, not to provoke their children to anger. He calls us not to provoke our children to anger because when you say and do things in your children's life that arouses bitterness and that exasperates them, they're not going to be very likely to respect you and honor you very much. And that's not to say that you're arousing your child to anger every time you tell them to do something that they don't want to do and it makes them angry. That's not it. The children need boundaries and they need things like that, but this is a much bigger deal with that. And so let me share with you just a few things that I think that we can glean from this in terms of parents instilling in their children a sense of honoring them and honoring the authorities in their life. Here's the first thing about this I think that we need to see. You need to remember this. Your children have a built-in alarm that goes off every time they sense hypocrisy in their parents. It goes off. It, it, it provides hypocrisy will provoke your children to anger and bitterness towards you. Whenever there's a disconnect between what you say you believe about Jesus Christ and the way in which you, that you live, buzzers go off and they say, caution, hypocrite alert, a big load of nonsense is coming. They can sense it from a mile away. 
Last week, I was talking to another friend of mine who's a pastor in, in another city, and he was talking to me about an issue going on in his church about a woman whose husband was abusing her and committing adultery against her. It's just a horrible situation going on in their church right now. And this woman's father is someone who is known in the community in which he lives as being a very godly person, someone whose life is centered on the gospel, lives a very Christ-focused life, a life of integrity, he's generous to people, and by all accounts he appears to be a very, very godly man. But at home, he was a colossal failure as a husband and father. He was checked out, and when he was checked in, he was abusive, verbally, physically. Just a lousy husband and father. And so my pastor friend knew some of the good things about this woman's father and asked her if she had talked to her dad very much about what, this, what her husband was doing to her. And she responded to him by saying, I could care less what my father thinks. Everybody thinks he's this great and godly, wonderful guy, but he's really one of the most evil people that I know. See, this father of this woman is an elder in a Presbyterian church. He gives all accounts publicly that he's a godly man, but at home it's a complete hypocrisy fest. There's no connection between who he professes to believe and the way in which he lives in his home life. And it's no wonder that he's raised a, per, a kid who was a little girl who's grown into an adult woman who has no respect for him. I'm not speaking to her lack of honor for her father. That's something that we're going to explore next week about how we honor parents who have just been awful parents to us. But it's clear from that story and from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 that there's got to be some connection between what it is that you say you believe about Jesus Christ and the gospel and how you live with your children. There has to be some measure of connection there. And if that connection is missing, then for goodness sake, seek some help on it. If it's missing, then welcome to the club. All of us have a missing component there. All of us have some kind of disconnect to one degree or another between what we say we believe about Jesus and how it is that we live. And that's why we need each other. That's why I sound like a broken record on this. We need each other in the church to help us apply the scriptures to our life at the level of our four-year-old or our ten-year-old or our fifteen-year-old. We need help with that. That's why we have men's groups and women's groups and why we have community groups that we're starting up and why we want there to be some kind of intersection other than between these four walls on Sunday morning. Because we need each other for help in these particular areas. And you are foolish if you disconnect from one another. Because you're not going to learn how to live the Christian life in a consistent way in the most meaningful areas of your life, which is with your kids and with your spouse. We need each other for that. Look in dependence upon Jesus Christ, upon His grace, upon His gospel, upon His truth. And see to it that your life, at least to some degree, matches your profession. And if it doesn't, figure out a way to connect with one another so you might grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and apply it to your family. Because if you don't, you'll live like a hypocrite. And if you live like a hypocrite, your children will almost definitely disrespect you and dishonor you. Here's another way 
in which you can make sure that your kids don't honor you. If that's your goal, I'm going to teach you how to do it. How you can provoke your kids to anger. You can provoke your kids by never admitting your mistakes to them. Never admitting your failures. Never revealing to them that you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God. A lot of parents feel like if they don't, if they, if they expose themselves as being people who are sinners to their kids, then it's going to arouse a sense of disrespect in them. They're going to see their parents as weak and they're going to start to disrespect their, their parents. But my friends, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. There are some things that we do as parents and just as individuals that are just clearly ungodly. I have one daughter. She's four, so I don't know much about this whole parenting thing yet. I'm learning as I go along. But one of the things that I've discovered is that I can over-discipline her. I can under-discipline her. I'll speak a harsh word to my wife in front of her. I'll get lazy and checked out with my ESPN addiction during March Madness, and I'm not checked in like I should be. And sometimes I have to come to her and say, you know what? Daddy was wrong. Daddy shouldn't have done that or said that. Will you please forgive me for that? I think that's powerful to your kids. And it embodies the gospel to them. It shows them that you are a person who is a failure just like everybody else. That you are a sinner, not just in some abstract conceptual way that doesn't intersect with their life. You're a sinner at the level with how you relate to your own kids. And they need to know that. And that you're relying not upon yourself, but you're relying upon Jesus to forgive you. That you're a person who's in need of forgiveness. And that is so much, my friends, what the gospel is all about. It's how it applies to your parenting. Here's a third way you can screw up your kids. I'm teaching you how to mess up your kids today, how to provoke them to anger. Third way you can do it is to accept them on the basis of their performance. Accept them on the basis of how well they perform, of, of, of how accomplished they are. See, this isn't a suggestion that you shouldn't push your children towards excellence. You should. It's a good thing that they achieve excellence, but it's fundamentally antithetical to the gospel if you in one form or another communicate to your kids that they are valued on the basis of how well they perform in the classroom or how well they perform on the ball field or even how well they do morally. I am thankful, my friends, to the bottom of my toes that I have a heavenly Father who does not accept me on the basis of how well I have performed for him. Because I would be up a creek for the rest of my life. You have a father, my friends, if you have entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ, who loves you and accepts you, not on the basis of your own performance, but on the basis of Jesus' performance that's given to you. See, one of the things that ought to, to propel us to honor God as our Father is that while, yes, He disciplines us for our sin, we can also know with the utmost degree of confidence that He relates to us the way that the Father related to the prodigal son. He relates to us as if we were prodigal sons. 
He runs to us. He puts a robe on us. He puts a ring on us. He throws a big feast for us because he loves us and doesn't accept us on the basis of our performance but accepts us on the basis of his grace that's given to us and the performance of Jesus Christ that's given to us by that grace. And so, friends, if that is true with regard to our relationship with God, it ought to overflow into the life that we have with our kids and how we relate to our children. Expect excellence from them, but don't approve them on the basis of their achievement of that. Well, what about the positive side about this? Is there a positive side to how we can engage with our kids on this way? How do we positively seek to cultivate in our children a heart that is disposed toward honoring you and honoring the authorities in their life? I think we saw a beautiful picture of that this morning when we baptized Hannah, when Dave and Stephanie came forward and they took their vows. I want you to look in your bulletin the third vow that they uh, affirmed this morning, because this is a beautiful thing. Listen to what this says. It says, Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God and promise in humble reliance upon divine grace that you will endeavor to set before her a godly example, that you will pray with and for her, that you will teach her the doctrines of our holy religion, and that you will strive by all the means of God's appointment, to bring her up and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are some powerful words. That is a jam-packed question. And parents, you would be wise to take that home and talk about it today, about how you can live like that in your household. It's the calling of both parents, my friends, but it's especially the calling of the fathers. And men, you need to listen to me here. Especially men, you need to hear this. I've mentioned this before to you, but the deal is is that when you got married, you not only became a husband, but you became the pastor of your household. And then when you had your first child, your congregation doubled. And it not only doubled, but it became multi-generational. That's the role you have. As the authority in your household, you have the privilege and responsibility of representing God to your wife and to your children. And that is a huge task because it's something that we all fail at all the time in every manifestation. But it's the calling that we have. It's the privilege that we have. And so when you exercise your authority, it's a delegated authority. The buck doesn't stop with you. It stops with God. And you represent Him to your children and to your wife in everything that you do. The way that you worship God either is faithful to Him or not, and you're showing your children whether they should honor God or not. And you know, the only way in which I think that you're going to be able to do that, men and parents, is if you're living in humble reliance upon divine grace, as that vow affirms. As if you're living in humble reliance upon divine grace. You cannot set before your children a godly example without living in humble reliance upon divine grace. Yes, good kids come from ungodly parents or parents who don't know Jesus Christ, but your goal isn't just to raise children who stay out of trouble. Your goal as a parent is to raise a child who will love Jesus Christ more than he loves anything else in this world. That's what you want to be as a parent. That's what God's calling you to. And I think Scripture all over the place gives us wisdom as to how we might go about doing that. You can look anywhere. Look at your call to worship this morning. Well, look at that verse. Psalm 46.1. 
Our call to worship this morning was Psalm 46.1, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. See, this verse shows us that God is the one that we run to, to for safety and support and help and wisdom and guidance and protection, all that stuff we find in God. Part of the reason why God is worth loving and honoring and following is because God is those things for us. And so when you represent God to your children, you want to be the kind of parent that your children are going to run to when fear overtakes them. When they have some kind of need, a parent who is seeking to encourage your children in what they're doing and provide what they need to flourish, that's how that applies to you. And you do that even in the midst of tough love and tough discipline. He's our refuge and strength, and that's what he's calling you to be as a parent. He's also present. He's not aloof. He embodied himself. He took on flesh and dwelt among us, and he gives his Holy Spirit to dwell within our lives. See, you may be physically there at home with your kids, but in every other way, you're not present with them. But God is present with us. He is our ever-present help in trouble. He is there. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And the call to parents is to be that kind of presence to your children, to be there for them. God is present, but he's your present help in trouble. As a parent who represents God to them, your kids need to have the security of knowing that you are the one who is going to provide help to them, who is going to help them, who is going to be there for them in their time of need. That would be revolutionary right there. If First Presbyterian Church begins to live like that, that would be revolutionary right there, and the lines between the church and the world would become much less muddy. Let me just say one final thing. Let me close with this. The thing that is true about every parent is that every parent is also a child. Every parent is also a child. You're a child that's had to learn to honor your parents. But now if you know Jesus Christ, you are the child of not just your earthly parents, but of a heavenly Father. And your life is pleasant to the degree that you not only honor Him, but that you respond to honor Him by honoring those in authority over you, honoring your parents. That's one of the ways in which you show love and respect towards Him. You didn't get to choose your parents. There's also a sense in which your parents didn't get to choose you. They didn't get to choose what you would turn out to be what you would be like, the decisions that you would make. But the thing about your Heavenly Father is that He did choose you. That's the beautiful thing about the Gospel. That when you rest in Jesus Christ, He chose you. And He chose you not because you were so great, because He foresaw all the things that you would do for Him in this life. He chose you despite the fact that you're so bad. And that's why you honor Him because you have unmerited favor that's been given to you. And friends, when your children see that in you, they see you honoring your Heavenly Father in response to grace, they're going to be much more inclined to honor you and honor their authorities as well. May it be so here at First Presbyterian Church. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for this tough word. It is a challenging word to us. 
we see this commandment and see ourselves as having fallen short. But our great hope is not in our ability to obey this commandment, but on the basis of the fact that you had a son who obeyed you, his heavenly father, perfectly. And we stand cleansed because of his obedience, not ours. And that's what drives us to sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Father, we pray that you would drive us to repentance in this area. Make us parents who seek by all the means of your appointment to rely on divine grace and raise our children in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Do that here in our church and in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.